Advancing Public Health with Wearables, Strategic Development of IOMT Biosensing Lifestyle Devices, Episode 5, Using the Innovation Roadmap to Address Wearable IOMT Challenges, Yielding Innovations. Stop 3, Commercialization and Implementation, Getting Ready for Market Under Design Controls and Risk Management, ISO 13485. We're speaking with Christopher Montalbano. He's the CEO of MIDI Medical Product Development. Chris, for new listeners joining the podcast series, can you provide some quick background here on how you established MIDI? Good day, Matt, and absolutely. MIDI is a second-generation-owned medical device development firm located right outside of New York City, and it was started by my father. I run MIDI as a co-owner with my brother, and we've been in business over 45 years and assist clients in conceptualizing and commercializing their medical devices. We utilize a unique process called development DNA, which infuses innovation and competitive differentiation into our devices uh, while conforming with the FDA QSR and ISO 1345. Chris, before we dive into the details, can you ground us in what point we are at on the innovation roadmap? Most certainly. In the previous podcast of this series, I provided an overview on the innovation roadmap as applied to medical device development. We opened up the map and explained there are three key stops along this journey. We've already reviewed the first two stops, which did not need to be deployed under the FDA QSR and ISO 1345 design controls and risk management. These first two stops allowed us to explore the market, identify opportunities, and then perform exploratory technology investigations and interactive MVP breadboarding in support and refinement of these opportunities. So as MIDI develops, fabricates, and tests iterative versions of an MVP, our teams methodically document all observations, innovations, and improvements with each version. These activities support a programmatic quality feedback loop as well as mitigate risk for stop number three on the innovation roadmap, commercialization and implementation. It is a method of creating what we call predictable success. Now, for stop three, you previously mentioned that now is the time the development team needs to constrain itself with the ISO 13485 guidelines and constraints. What are some of the first activities at this stop? Well, at MIDI, we don't view the process as a constraint, but rather as a method of being systematic and well-documented, allowing us to standardize the process, thus freeing our teams to focus on implementing and commercializing the development innovations. Of course, to standardize the process requires a robust QMS to be in place, meaning quality management system, which consists of a quality manual that points to SOPs, also known as standard operating procedures. So these SOPs methodically define in detail the product realization activities to deploy. The activities are defined both with steps and flowcharts. So MIDI's QMS is its development DNA. Now, MIDI utilizes a cloud-based tool called Matrix QMS to archive, rev control, date control with e-signatures or QMS documents. Using tools such as these, is another way to mitigate your staff's documentation burden requirements, allowing them to focus on the creative part of engineering and design. Next, we work with our regulatory partners to determine the intended use of the device and what efficacy claims we intend to make about the device. Ultimately, the FDA's interests are that the wearable IOMT device be number one, effective for its intended use, which includes functional performance and the ease of use, and number two, safe, 
for all stakeholders, both caregivers, patients, and, and others. So moving forward and working with a regulatory partner, we define the class identification. There's class one, class two, and class three. So class one devices are typically those which present minimal potential for harm to the user and are often simpler in design. Class two devices, most devices fall under. And then that third class, class three devices usually sustains or supports life or involves the potential of high-risk injury. So once that class is defined, we then determine the regulatory path. Is it a 510K? Is it a de novo or a PMA? If it's a 510K, there will be existing predicates available to reference with their product codes, which will reveal regulatory documents that you must comply with. If it's a de novo or PMA path, some preemptive discussions with the FDA are advised, which will assist in firming up the regulatory path to follow. Now, currently, we're developing a wearable early stroke detection system for forest devices, which is under such a, a de novo regulatory pathway. Well, once you've mapped all of this out, are you ready to start the engineering and the design? Well, there is still a good amount of preemptive homework to generate before we get to that point, Matt. Next, we need to define the plans. This is a procedure of being methodical in reference to what the team is about to do before deploying activities. And as part of following the ISO 1345 product realization methodology. So under MIDI's development DNA, a few high-level plans include for example, design and development plans, which cover elements like timing, staffing, tools used. Also, there's a risk management plan, which conforms with the ISO 14971 process and assists you in identifying unacceptable risks and a mitigation process associated with that risk. Also, there's verification plans, which relate to defining internal engineering test support and plans for the program. There's also a validation plan. And again, that test plan relates to things that will address the end user and making sure the design is addressing the end user. Now, since there is software involved in the design of wearable IOMT devices, there are additional plans required as a result of conforming with the IEC 62304. Those include a software development plan, a configuration management plan, an issue defect management plan, also system verification plan, and software verification validation plan. So again, we use Matrix Requirements cloud-based tool called Matrix ALM to capture these plans in a unique method that is rev-controlled, date-controlled with e-signatures, something that is required as part of the FDA QSR. Wow, that is quite a methodical process. The MIDI method should provide the public comfort and instill confidence in knowing that wearable IOMT devices need to undergo such a process. Although at the same time, the process appears very regimented, which can tend to inhibit innovation. From your previous podcast on this subject, we learned that there was much freedom to innovate and ideate from both a market exploration perspective and technology R&D perspective. At this point in the process, is innovation difficult to achieve? As a matter of fact, at this point in our development DNA ISO 1345 compliant process, we have the ability to quote unquote, tap back into that innovation stream and pan for those golden nuggets. So let's remind ourselves of the definition of a wearable IOMT device as related to innovation. It's the process of translating an invention into a device 
or commercialization, which creates value for the end user. So it must, to be innovative, number one, satisfy a specific market need. Second, be effective from both a functional performance perspective and an ease of use perspective. And third, be safe for the stakeholders. So now, while stop one, market exploration, would have thoroughly addressed the first aspect of satisfying a specific market need. The process of creating an effective and safe device is where this stage of the development DNA process really shines. And again, with this process being grounded in ISO 1345, the development team now starts the process of capturing what we're going to call requirements. So at MIDI, we break these requirements down into two primary categories. One, there's regulatory requirements, and two, user requirements. First, let's discuss capturing the wearable IOMT device's regulatory requirements, the predominant purpose being focused on creation of a safe device. It involves the act of pouring through the regulatory documents, which were identified earlier in the podcast, and capturing those sections of the document, which are applicable to the wearable device under development. Next, Let's discuss the mining and capturing of the second primary category called user requirements. So MIDI uses tools like VOC, also known as voice of the customer, and workflow task mapping analysis, also competitive comparative analysis, where the more refined aspects of wearable IOMT device innovation begin to manifest themselves. So the user needs, of course, are overlaid with the programmatic process of human factors engineering under IEC 62366. Now, it's important to note that these user requirements then direct us to decompose the discovery and capture of additional requirements at a system level. These system level requirements consist of client requirements and device requirements. So let's hit each of these system level requirements. It's with the discovery and capture of client requirements using tools like client goal mapping and QFD, quality meaning quality function deployment, whereby additional innovative wearable IOMT device features are conceptualized beyond the core baseline features. One trending feature in this area is the implementation of a robust IoT system, meaning Internet of Things, to provide additional value to the user and an additional revenue stream to the client. Then, when capturing device requirements, the development team needs to decompose the user requirements into specific feature definitions, which in using team brainstorming techniques often unlocks new intellectual property, providing barriers of protection and enhanced device value. Now, Matt, at this point, all of the requirements have been captured and need to be documented, rev controlled, date controlled with e-signatures, which we do in that cloud tool I mentioned, Matrix ALM. Once you capture all those detailed requirements, do you then start engineering and designing the wearable IOMT device? Well, to be as thorough as possible, our development DNA process follows that ISO 1345 very closely. And in diving into the prescription of the steps before we start engineering and designing activities, we need to expand upon the captured requirements within Matrix ALM, defining design inputs verification, and validation parameters, sometimes referenced as V&V. Additionally, we need to perform risk management. So let's get into that now. So what is risk in the context of a wearable IOMT device development? 
As you're aware, medical product development has a specific standard as related to risk called ISO 14971. So all medical devices submitted to the FDA and most of the world will leverage this ISO 14971 document to address risk. So the first step is in the creation of a risk management plan. So in the risk management plan, it consists of how you deal with several things. So one is how you do risk analysis, how you do risk evaluation, how you do risk control, also the evaluation of overall residual risk, additionally risk management review, and finally the production and post-production activities and the management of that risk. So I'm not going to give an exhaustive deep dive on the 14971 that would take too long, but at the highest level, we're going to establish what the wearable IOMT device is, establish how our users and patients are going to use it, and frankly, how they're going to misuse it. We need to plan for the use and misuse and engineer a device that'll prevent harm to our users and the patients. So let's Dig a bit deeper into these main topics, one being risk analysis. So within risk analysis, first, you have to identify the hazards. And some examples of hazards could be leakage current, moving parts, acoustical energy, stored energy, maybe cybersecurity. The list goes on and on. So it's important to sit down with your team and visualize these hazards. Next, once those hazards have been identified, we get into risk evaluation. So with that risk evaluation, we wade through the hazards and begin to evaluate them. We leverage our matrix ALM tool, which has a built-in evaluation method to document and quantify the severity of the risk, the probability of occurrence of the risk, and the detectability of the risk. And we use a, a weighted numerical scale for each of those values. So ultimately, this results in what's called a RBM value, which means risk before mitigation value. In our matrix tool, if this value is above a certain threshold, then we need to pay extra attention to its control and the mitigation of that risk. So that leads to the third step in risk analysis, which is the risk control or how to minimize and eliminate the risks that were identified. So when conceptualizing mitigation features, MIDI will utilize one of three types of risk control, and it's in order of preference. There are three of them. So one is it being inherently safe. In this instance, we cross-link to an existing design input in the matrix where we already intended design around that risk in the inherently safe design. But the second level of risk control is creating a new protective design feature. So if it's not inherently safe, you need to create a new protective design feature. This will result in a new design input in our tracking uh, design control document in the matrix. Number three is information safety. So if you can't address risk with the first two, either inherently safe or protective design feature, you provide information safety. So this is the least desirable control and results in either providing instructions or labeling. It's not as passive a method. So that, that's the last resort method. So we always strive to either be inherently safe or create a protective design feature mitigation to control that risk. So within matrix ALM, a new value is calculated now that we've gone through that risk control exercise referencing that mitigation feature, and we now call it a RAM value, the risk after mitigation. This value must be under our threshold of acceptability as defined in our risk management plan in order to continue uh, with the process. If not, we go back and do another risk control exercise until we get that, that value low enough uh, so that it's acceptable uh, to the team. Now, I keep hearing design inputs mentioned. What are design inputs? Well, 
Matt, design inputs, design specifications, specifications, or a number of other names are essentially what amounts to the definition of a product. They're really all by the same name. So at MIDI, we call them design inputs and to also to conform with the ISO 1345. So design inputs are going to exactly define the acceptable criteria for any one feature in the design. So design inputs are decomposed from our requirements, which we previously mentioned were entered into that matrix ALM tool. One can say that a requirement provides a high level, more general description of your goal in the product design, whereas a design input is the engineering interpretation of how to achieve that requirement. So often a singular requirement gets decomposed into multiple design inputs. How do you ensure design inputs result in appropriate features in the product? We verify each design input with a verification test. These tests will uh, be defined by MIDI and the international standards community. And we typically conduct verification tests in-house and with the help also of external laboratory partners. So you may be familiar with the IEC 6601-1 family of standards here in the U.S. It's sometimes referred to the ANSI standards. These are essentially requisite verification tests to perform with known safety concerns. So external labs such as TUV or Intertech have facilities to verify a product to these established standards. And these standards are a great way for any design team to get a feel for the multitude of safety concerns around a medical device. And we view them as a critical aspect of any development effort. Did you say verification or validation? Are they the same thing? Actually, they're quite different. Uh, verification is tied directly to design inputs and our traceability rules established in that matrix ALM ensures this direct connection. Verification testing in many ways is easier to comply with as the features are verified or they are not. But validation, on the other hand, is tied to our user requirements and testing is less, quote unquote, black and white. We rely on established stakeholders to provide feedback on the device in addition to test cases and clinical trials all to establish that the device works as intended for the end user. Like all aspects of design control, this procedure is laid out in a plan before actually conducting the work. And again, we use Matrix ALM to link the validation to the user requirement. So MIDI sees validation as an essential step in proving you've created a device that serves the user's needs. Okay, now we have plans, requirements, risk control, design inputs, verification and validation. Do we have a design yet? I can sense a certain amount of trepidation here, uh, but understandably so. Um, So we've built an exacting definition of our product at this point, which is necessary to control the design. But now we need to step through confirming the design in a staged approach by strategically building prototypes. So we develop formal alpha prototypes and then finally move into the beta prototype round and then pilot production round uh, with the team. So during each stage, we're conducting verification testing where appropriate and communicating with the user base on usability, conducting clinical evaluations for validation testing, all to confirm we've defined our product correctly and design our product to that definition. That's great detail. I'm starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel here. Do we have a product yet? You're, you're right. 
the light is showing itself at the end of the tunnel. MIDI is a design and engineering firm with a number of strategic partners in manufacturing. We work with our manufacturing partners to transfer the wearable IOMT device design control documentation to them in the form of a design history file or a DHF. So typically, MIDI will bring the product to a pilot production stage. In this stage, the product is already being produced by our partner manufacturers, and the bulk of the work is complete. So yes, you do have a product at that point, Matt. Thanks, Chris. I wanted to thank you for your time spent providing this podcast series and insight into the advancement of public health with innovative IOMT wearable lifestyle devices utilizing cutting-edge biosensing technologies. Most definitely, Matt. And I realize we've only touched on the multitude of facets any one program faces. If the listeners would like to learn more, they can visit the MIDI website, which is midipd.com, M-I-D-I-P-D.com, and reach out to us. And we can't wait to discuss your next opportunity and demonstrate how we commercialize wearable IOMT devices utilizing the roadmap steps from our development DNA approach. With this approach, MIDI's team of engineers and usability experts tied to their industrial designers have the ability to utilize development DNA's innovation roadmap to address the functional, lifestyle, cost to manufacture, safety, and business requirements of what I'm going to call the quote-unquote golden standard approach, which is paired with the follow-through to execute upon that approach in a rapid, agile product development fashion under MIDI's Quality First umbrella. This concludes the five-episode podcast series on advancing public health with wearables strategic development of IOMT biosensing lifestyle devices. 